0: So over the last uh, couple of weeks, it's been uh, so awesome to see God move powerfully in uh, so many of your lives through these Jesus stories that we've been looking at. Uh, We've seen Jesus, that he he came to touch and heal us at our point of need. We've seen Jesus as as we've brought our broken pieces to him, those parts of us that are shattered and and ruined. We've seen him, and some of us have, have, have really experienced the heart of Jesus to restore and make us whole and make things right. Many of us over the last couple of weeks have chosen to surrender our lives to Jesus because of his love for us is so amazing, so beyond our imagination. But I got to tell you that today is going to be a little bit tougher of a message. Today the cost of surrender might look and feel a bit tough until we evaluate it and realize that the cost is really worth it. But still... Today we're going to encounter some words uh, Jesus spoke that are a bit difficult. At least at first glance, they appear to be really difficult, and they just raise the bar on what it means to surrender our lives to Jesus. But at the same time, they are the way to the life, the life that we all yearn to live. And so if you work with me on this and go, oh, that's a little tough, and just realize that the toughness leads to the life we're after. And, You know, when I put the message schedule together, I I wasn't thinking that we would do two child dedications on this particular Sunday because the words that we're going to look at uh, are, are really challenging from a family perspective. I almost thought I should preach something else on Child Dedication Sunday, but then I realized, no, this is God's word for parents. This is God's word for children. This is God's word for all of us. Here's the problem. So many church-going people think of Jesus as this nice guy, you know? This tranquil, unflappable, religious guru who just went around spreading love, peace, and groovy vibes, right? But what you're going to see today is another side to Jesus. That Jesus is actually quite a polarizing person. If you truly take the time to figure out and know and understand who Jesus is, you either really love him, or maybe you end up hating him. This happened when Jesus was on earth. As you read the stories of Jesus, what you see is that as Jesus grew more attractive to some, he grew more detestable to others. While certain people thronged him, others plotted to kill him. I'm not sure if you'd all expect to hear this, but when you see Jesus for who he really is, he kind of pushes you in one of two ways. It it either kind of pushes you to love him, or it pushes you to really reject and even hate him. You know, people who just go, meh, about Jesus, who think he's just some sweet, nice guy who, you know, said good words, uh, did nice things. Uh, We're talking people who are not overly anti-Jesus. They're just not all that passionate about him either. Meh, just means they've never had an encounter with the real Jesus. An encounter with the real Jesus, understanding who Jesus really is, just forces your hand to go one way or the other. So we're going to take a look at a difficult set of words that Jesus spoke that both the apostles Luke and Matthew record. We'll start with Luke and then look at what Matthew adds to the story. We'll be in Luke 12 and Matthew 10. You can follow along with the screen or use your Bible app or a printed Bible, whatever works best for you. Let's start with how Luke records Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. And then here's the statement that is a bit jarring. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Not peace, but division. I mean, isn't Jesus supposed to be the Prince of Peace? And hey, some translations of this passage actually use the word sword instead of division. Some scholars believe that that's the literal word here. In Matthew's account, he uses the more violent word sword. However, the NIV, the translation I most use, and really uh, the word he, the word division here, as do most uh, translations, yeah, most translations, including the NIV, translate this word as division. And the reason they picked the word division to translate it is because what Jesus is talking about is not so much about inciting violence as much as just how the message of Jesus will cause deep, bitter division between people, even members of the same family. Because with Jesus, loyalties are going to be challenged. Once this message of Jesus gets into households in many homes, it will destroy the peace. Families will be split up over the message of Jesus. Take a look at how Jesus continues. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Isn't that just a sweet passage? But it is a true statement of what's happened throughout the history of the church. You choose to follow Jesus. But members of your family push back. Maybe they're worried for you. But maybe you'll become some sort of antisocial, weird Jesus freak, a fanatic. And and that fear can sometimes produce a lot of tension. Sometimes it causes divisions within a household. Hey, new new followers of Jesus back in the early church, uh, they were excommunicated from synagogues. Some were shunned by their families. Some were given up for arrest to the Roman government. And the Roman government in some cases had these believers in Jesus fed to lions. History tells us that thousands of people would flock to Roman Colosseums to see Christians take on lions and and just be burned at the stake. Just maybe. Just maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said that his message would be divisive, that it just might tear families apart. Now, religious tension, I've told you on and off, has always been a bit of an issue in my own family. Both of my grandparents on my mother's side come from strong Irish Roman Catholic stock and they're incredibly proud of their Catholic heritage. My mom was sent to a private Catholic girls' a residential school run by nuns just to make sure, you know, she got it all right. Not sure that happened, but that was the intent. My grandfather on my father's side is also Irish Catholic and we can trace that almost back to the days of St. Patrick, so very Irish, very Catholic. But my grandmother on my father's side, she came from a long line of Irish Protestants full of some very fervent believers. And I have cousins from that line today who are passionate followers of Jesus. In my grandmother's Protestant line, there is a Scottish line that is even more fervent in their faith, maybe fanatical, So much so that that my ninth great-grandfather, James Mitchell, was executed for the attempted assassination of Archbishop James Sharp on January 18, back in 1678 in Edinburgh, Scotland. He was 39. He was part of what was called the Scottish Covenanters, who believed that the Anglican Archbishop was a traitor to Scotland and a traitor to biblical faith, that he was a sellout to the British, and and the British Anglican Church, they just thought that was apostate. So some in history label him a fanatical extremist, although to this day he is a hero of the Scottish independence movement. There is a novel inspired by his life called The Fanatic and there are other writings on him. Anyways, that fervor can be seen in some of my cousins today who are cousins through my Protestant grandmother. The big question that I don't have an answer for is how my Protestant grandmother came to marry my Catholic grandfather, because back in the day, things like that just didn't happen. But love and romance, you know, sometimes breaks down the taboos. Well in that marriage, my grandmother determined that her kids, my dad and my uncle, would be raised as Protestants in the United Church of Canada. But when my dad was christened or baptized as an infant in the United Church, the Catholic Church was not impressed. And my grandfather was excommunicated. It wasn't a full papal excommunication, but he was no longer allowed to attend the Catholic Church or in particular to participate in Catholic sacraments. And that was back in the city of Halifax. The idea in the Catholic Church that if you didn't participate in the sacraments, you would be denied entrance to heaven. What the church thought they were doing was sending my grandfather to hell because he married a Protestant woman and his kids were being raised Protestant. I mean, isn't that sweet? Okay, the Catholic Church is a little gentler today and uh, we're actually saying goodbye today to an awesome priest in our city, uh, Father Andrew Schoenenberger. This is his last Sunday and uh, he's heading to uh, Edmonton where he's going to uh, teach in their seminary there. Amazing guy, full of faith. Back to my story. Well, wouldn't you know it? My Protestant father married a Catholic woman. you you watching all this mess here? And and I was baptized as an infant by the bishop of the Cathedral of the Pro Assumption in North Bay, Ontario. It was a big, big deal for my family. Now, my parents had named me Douglas Darrell Doyle, but to make the big deal official that was about to happen, there needed to be a Catholic saint in my name, so the bishop baptized me, Douglas Darrell Stephen Doyle. And when that happened... The excommunication of my grandfather was lifted. And he was able to attend church again because I was now a good Catholic boy. I'm sure you see the irony of all this. But anyways, uh, he was able to participate in the sacraments that would again allow him, you know, to get to heaven. My baptism was his get out of hell free card. Just awesome stuff back in the day. And hey, from my baptism on... My grandfather never missed Sunday Mass except when he was hospitalized. But then, something more messy happened, earth-shaking my family, both myself and my brother became devoted followers of Jesus, not just church attenders, and we decided to go public with our faith through Believer's Baptism at the People's Church in Toronto. Uh, At the time, People's Church was the largest Protestant church in Canada. It's still an amazing church. And and I told you about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. That while my Catholic mother gave her permission for the baptism, she refused to go to the service. In fact, she refused to talk to me directly for a better part of a month. I could only talk to her through my dad. It was kind of an interested, unexpected turn of events. Definitely faith was causing a little bit of division in our family. As time went on, I sensed a call to become a pastor and enrolled in an evangelical seminary, what is now Tyndale College in Toronto. And my grandfather, who was faithfully going to Catholic Mass Sunday after Sunday, he piped in and said, Hey, we're not telling anyone where Doug's going to school now, okay? (laughs) Cone of silence, that's it. My grandfather just thought what his church didn't know at this point in time was just for the better. So faith and family can get a little complicated, intensely emotional about 10 years ago I was doing a short-term missions trip uh, some work in Lombok, Indonesia. Lombok is a beautiful tropical island close to and beside the uh, island of Bali, Indonesia whereas Bali is like 95 percent Hindu Lombok is 95 percent Islamic and it's a very conservative stream of Islam where if they could they would impose Sharia law on the island and I would say unofficially that's how they operate. And as far as they're concerned Christians are the enemy And while they have appreciated Christian relief work and even infrastructure projects like bridges and dams funded by the Canadian government, they have worked hard to resist the influence of the Christian faith on their people. Several years before I was in Lombok, Islamic militants, mostly in one night, but it was over three nights of uh, conflict and rioting, they saw pretty well every church on the island, 24 of them, burned to the ground and posted on the burnt remains of many of the churches was don't try to rebuild no forgiveness for Christians and then Lombok passed legislation making it illegal for a church to build within five miles of a mosque and that resulted in this massive mosque building campaign trying to push churches right off the island I've been to Lombok on multiple occasions on, I, I've had the opportunity to meet formerly Muslim people who became followers of Jesus the personal cost of their decision is absolutely huge. It didn't just mean that they were automatically shunned from their families. It meant that their families and the people in the villages that they came from, they they, they felt almost duty-bound to to have these converts to Christianity killed for Islamic apostasy. And there would be no legal repercussions. The, The Indonesian government, the military, just wouldn't touch what was going on. So they would flee their homes and villages and come to the mission that I was a part of in the largest city on Lombok, Mataran to find refuge. They lost their jobs, they lost their families, they lost their friends, all to follow Jesus. For us, it's, it's, it's really hard to imagine that Jesus, it shouldn't be hard to imagine that Jesus is that important, that they would give everything up to follow him. But you know, the claims that Jesus makes, that he is the son of God, Um, that he is God. I mean, they're pretty absolute. I I mean, listen to how Jesus described himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That exclusivity, the the strength of that claim is, is part of what causes division. The Apostle John, talking about the exclusive claims of Jesus, says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In other words, to become a part of God's family, to personally experience, for you to experience the life-transforming love of the Father, now and forever, you have to make a decision to choose Jesus. You have to invite him into your life. You, you have to receive him into your life. You have to believe in him and what he did on the cross for you and the power of his resurrection. And, and when Jesus taught this idea of, of how costly it is to choose to follow him, Matthew adds these further words of Jesus. This is where Matthew tacks on a little more than what Luke says. And Jesus said, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Those are tough words, eh? I mean, whatever happened to sweet baby Jesus boy? I mean, those are fighting words. But hey, Doug, isn't the Christian faith big on family and strong family relationships? When I come to Jesus and invite him to be part of my life, isn't part of what he does is help me with my family, with my relationships? And the answer is yes, absolutely yes. The Bible and the Christian faith are pro-family god created the family and he wants to bless your family life he he wants to help you through the holy spirit to empower you so that your family flourishes so that family life is awesome you know when you come to fort city whether you're in a family or single you'll hear a lot about how with god's help you can develop strong healthy wholesome life-giving relationships the intense love that a parent has for a child that a husband has for a wife these come from god The love and and value of friendship that you have for each other comes from God. God designed us to love, and particularly to love in family. But even so, what Jesus is doing is making a strong, staggering claim. Because Jesus is demanding to be at the very center of our lives. He's demanding that our commitment to him trumps our most precious relationships, including family, and, and any other commitment we might have. You see, because Jesus is God. Because he is Lord. He is more important than many very good, very important things in our lives, including our family. Is that a little uncomfortable? Now, it was Jesus who taught us first, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is our first and foremost command as Christians. Get this, and you get what it really means to follow Jesus. We're called to love God first, to love God with all we've got. But then secondly... The second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And family, family fits right in there. And I would say really up there between God and neighbor, family fits right in. And you actually see this in the way that the Apostle Paul writes. He says, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. And you can see it there, love your neighbor as yourself applied to marriage and family. In fact the apostle paul goes further and says children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the lord so what is paul saying here he's saying if we do family right If kids learn how to honor and obey their parents as they grow up and really honor their parents all of their lives, and if parents and dads in particular don't go too authoritarian in the home but teach their kids about Jesus and how to love Jesus first and to be fully devoted to Jesus, that's when families flourish. Our God is pro-family. He wants to help us to do family right. He has given us instructions in the Bible about how to do family right. Families that love, uh, families that flourish and make this world a better place to live because God is working through them. Families done God's way are so awesome. But Jesus comes first to make this happen. And while many of you can't identify with my story of, uh, you know, Christian persecution in Lombok, or even with my own story of family conflict uh, over faith, because times have changed so much, and it's kind of good that it's not like it was back in the day. But here's where this passage hits most of you today. Here's the critical question for you. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus even more than your family? If you were ever forced to choose between Jesus and your family, who would you choose? That's kind of what Jesus is a driving at with these hard words. Another question for those of you who are parents are you teaching your kids to obey Jesus more than you? Are you teaching your kids to live for Jesus? To live lives that will make a difference for Jesus? Are you teaching your kids to live and love like Jesus? Here's a picture of Derek Burnett. He's an international worker with our church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance in Thailand. Back when I was a youth pastor in Toronto, Derek was part of my youth group. And as part of the youth ministry at Unionville Alliance Church, God called Derek to international ministry to be a missionary. His parents got just a little miffed at me when Derek came you know, home from youth group, all enthused about what was coming next in life and... They thought that I was a bit of maybe a negative influence on their family, right? Um, That maybe I was encouraging Derek to do something that would cost him his life and destroy their family. Just lots of emotion, right? And I remember his mom giving me a cold, icy stare, saying, I blame you, Doug Doyle, for what's happening to my son. Now today, Derek's parents would say it wasn't as as intense as i make it out to be they just go no it wasn't that bad we weren't that bad yes they were but anyways <laughs> it's just that they're also godly people who love jesus and they can see the hand of jesus on the life of their son and right now they're pretty proud of him and he's just doing awesome work over there in thailand so his parents simply learned to let go of the idol they had turned their kids into they learn the liberating life-giving power of putting jesus first They learned what Jesus taught. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's a matter of priorities. Derek's parents learned that by putting Jesus first, everything else falls into place. And they didn't lose a son. They actually gained a whole new part of the world to be a part of, and they gained the pleasure of God. So here's my question to those of you who are parents. What if Jesus calls your child to live in a part of the world that is not only far away, but is not safe? Most international workers from our church family, like the couple who was with us two weeks ago, who we could not live stream that part of the service for their safety, our church family is sending most workers these days to difficult and unsafe places, because that's where the need is the greatest. Could you bless your kid if they wanted to do that? So yeah, are you teaching your kids to love Jesus more or to love you more? Where are you directing the loyalty and the love of your kids? Is it first to you or first to Jesus? Where are you directing the priorities of your kids? Let's just look at your family calendar. Is a week in the life of your kids designed to center their lives and their affections around Jesus? Is Kid City and youth group a priority? I mean, there are many, many good things that your kids can be involved in for their growth and development. But are you making sure that they are exposed to Jesus and the teaching of his word? That's what makes the words of Jesus so tough for us. Now hear me. Jesus wants you. In fact, he wants through the Holy Spirit to help you to love your kids deeply and passionately. And the truth is, people who come to Jesus become better husbands or wives, better fathers or mothers, better children because Jesus teaches us to lay down our lives for our family, to to love by serving. It's just that the button that Jesus is pushing, the issue that Jesus is raising, is a matter of priority that for many people who go to church, our kids, our families become idols that we put ahead of even God. You know, attendance around here often goes up when we do a family message series, and, and that's good. But there's a problem with that as well. Because some parents just want to use Jesus to get a good family because family is the ultimate thing for you. But the message of Jesus to you, if you really want to get a good family, make Jesus not family your ultimate thing. Does that make sense? Now, I think what Jesus is saying to us and what Jesus is saying to uh, those of us who are parents really is wrapped up in how he sums up this little talk in Matthew. He summarizes what it means and and he leaves us actually with a promise. He says, whoever loses their life for the sake, for my sake, will find it, right? The losing of life, the prioritizing of Jesus, the surrendering our lives to Jesus, then comes the promise, we will find life, right? You know, It's not so tough for us who live in Fort McMurray, but even for those who live in tougher parts of the world that are hostile to Jesus, the promise is the same. Lose your life, um, and and by that it just means give your life away for the mission of Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus and his his ways. Uh, Seek Jesus and make him first in your life. Teach your kids to seek Jesus first, and the promise is you will find life. You will find the life that you yearn to live now and forever. Yeah, the life that you're really after. What really is motivating you. Why you come here from time to time. Why you do all those things with your kids that you do. The key that unlocks that life is found by living fully for Jesus. And what you're giving up is nothing compared to what you gain. The life that you really desire to live, that's what you gain. The, The good life you so yearn for, life to the full... It just comes, excuse me, as you surrender fully to Jesus. So what I'm going to do in a moment is I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer to surrender fully to Jesus, to make Jesus the leader, the Lord of your life, and just empower you to do family or, if you're not in a family unit, to do relationships right. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that full life, that flourishing life, that family life you so yearn for, that life to the full, it comes as we surrender our lives to Jesus and his ways. So bow with me for prayer and then just take the words that I'm praying and, and kind of pray them in your own way, okay? Just take my words and kind of repray them in a way that makes sense for you as your own personal prayer to Jesus. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, oh yeah, I do love my friends very much and I love my family. They're my life. And they are good gifts from you. Thank you for them. So just thank Jesus for friends and family, will you? But as I thank you for my friends and family, I declare that I choose to love you even more. Can you do that? Can you pray that? I choose to give you first place in my life. I surrender my life to you and your ways. And I thank you that surrendering my life to you, committing my life fully to you, making you the Lord and leader of my life is the way to life to the full now and forever. And it's the way to family relationships and relationships all over that I so long to experience. I love you because you first loved me and sacrificially gave your life that I might have life now and forever. Help me. Empower me to love you with that same kind of sacrificial love. And then as I learn to love you more and more, fill me with your spirit and empower me to love my family with that same kind of sacrificial love. Empower me to live and love well with my family and in all my relationships. Just come, Holy Spirit, and empower me to love like Jesus. Again today, I declare that you are first in my life. And I thank you that by putting you first, I gain more than I could ever give. Empower me and my family to live for your glory as we become part of your mission of love to this city and world.